Let's turn to Judges chapter 4. We're going to talk tonight about the faith of Barak. Now, we're going to call him Barak, just so he's not confused with Barak. Barak and Deborah. We're going to read verses 1 through 16 this evening. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor, the captain of whose host was Sisera, which dwelt in a certain town with the Gentiles. The children of Israel cried to the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron. Twenty years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. Deborah, prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. She dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel, the Mount Ephraim. The children of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and called Barak, the son of Abinam, and said to him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward the Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali, and of the children of Zebulun? And I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots, with his multitude, and I will deliver him into thy hand. Barak said to her, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I shall not go. And she said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding. The journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor, for the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Now there are several characters here. Most are not familiar with this story. Jabin was the king of Hazor. He was a, a tyrant. Then you have Deborah. She was the prophetess. Because no man in Israel was doing right or considered a sufficiently honorable, God was using a woman. And let me just say, don't try to go to Scripture and put in there your opinion into the Word of God. God still uses men, but these were desperate times, calling for desperate measures. And God was revealing His Word and His divine will through Deborah at this moment. Then you have Barak, a very uncomfortable general of the army of Israel, a hodgepodge of, of soldiers that weren't even armed. And then he had Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, and uh, they had ruled for 20 years, had 900 chariots of iron. And Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, you know what was going on in the book of Judges. We see these cycles of obedience and disobedience, and God would allow their enemy to come in and rule over them. But Ehud had ruled in Israel, and there had been peace for 80 years. Look what it says, something interesting, verse 31. After him was a man named Shamgar, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad. You know what that is? A cattle prod. He took that instrument and whooped up and killed 600 Philistines. You know that's God. And here's what you like about God and in his word. When he does it, he's not building up a man. There's no attention put on Shamgar. I mean, good night. If you'd killed 600 soldiers with an ox goat, a cattle prod, I'm sure you would write a whole book about the experience. But God said, no, it was me who did this through this man. But look at what's happening in Israel. This was a very horrific time in Israel's history and here's what you know as soon as Ehud died look what it says in verse 1 the children of Israel again did evil 
in the sight of the Lord. As soon as they were free of accountability, once again, back to their false idols, back to their sin, distant they were from God. And if you have children that as soon as they're free from accountability go straight to sin, you've got a serious problem on your hands. And that's the condition that Israel found themselves in. Now, you have to understand, go to chapter 5. Let's look at verse 7. Let's see what was happening at this time in Israel's history. Because Shamgar was a contemporary of Deborah and Barak. It says verse 6, in the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jail and the highways were unoccupied. Now, despite the fact that there was a mighty warrior in the land, people still feared to travel and to do business because the enemy was inhabiting the land. You didn't want to go down and travel on the road where there were 900 chariots, enemy chariots of iron, and you had absolutely no weapon to defend yourself. So the Bible says... The highways weren't occupied. The travelers walked through the byways. They tried to escape the main areas where the enemies were traveling on these roads. The inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel until when? Now, this is shameful. Until that I, Deborah, rose a mother. This is painful. In Israel, a mother had to stand up and help deliver God's people now listen, this is, although we're talking about a story that happened thousands of years ago, this is common even in our churches today because men fail to stand up all across this nation. There are women that have to stand up and run the ministries in local churches because men don't want the commitment, men don't want the responsibility, and sometimes there's just not enough spiritual men to do the ministries of the local church. Now, that doesn't change God's plan. God's plan for leadership is men. But there was a dearth of men that was so severe that only he could only find one person, and that was Deborah, a woman, and he chose her as his prophetess. Now, I think the problem is still the same in this day and age. I would classify it as cowardice. Because men like to beat their chest and claim to beat Tarzan when they can't even rule their own home or be the spiritual leader of their own flock. And as soon as their children become teenagers and they have to make an unpopular decision, suddenly mom has to become the leader. As soon as there has to be a decisive decision made, fathers are pushing off that duty to to mother, the mother of the house, the mom, is suddenly in charge because that man has never grown a, a backbone larger than the size of a spaghetti noodle. And now his teenagers are making the decisions of the home whether or not they'll go to church and whether or not they'll listen to decent and clean and holy music, whether or not they'll even hang around Christian friends, and suddenly dad is caving to every whim, every desire, usually every fleshly desire that's found in that teenager's heart. And that's a lot of fleshly desire. And no men were found. No men were standing up, stepping up to the plate, doing that which was right. So God used Deborah. Look what it says in verse 4. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, 
she judged Israel at that time. The end of verse 5 says that the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now that alone should have been a rebuke. You as a man have to go to a woman to hear from God. Your nation is in a mess and some man should have stood up and said, God, I'm willing to be used. That's still God's plan. Men, you ought to step up. You ought to be the leaders. You ought to be the spiritual leaders, not just in your church, but in your home. Ladies, you ought to let your husbands be the spiritual leaders. Encourage them. You say, well, I married someone that's not a leader. Encourage him in his leadership so that he plays the right role. You should take your biblical position. And that doesn't mean you yell and scream and let the world know that you're the king of the house. To the contrary, you just get with God, show some spiritual leadership, follow the principles of that book, and you'll never have to raise your voice. You know, people like following a godly leader. And people greatly dislike having or being forced to follow an ungodly leader. So if you're godly, I promise you this, someone will follow you. Maybe the problem is there's not godliness there. But look at verse 6. She sends forth. Now, she was doing the right thing. She didn't want this position of leadership. So she finds Barak and... Uh, she says unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor and take with thee 10,000 men? In verse 8, when we read this, we often look and think, What a weak man, what a coward, because the first words out of his mouth are these If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. Now, here's what we have to do. Remember, we have to take our opinions and throw them out the window and say God's word is superior to any of my opinion. So if I have an opinion that directly contradicts the word of God, I'm wrong in the way I form that opinion. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Because I wanted to preface this situation before we read what God says about Barak in Hebrews 11, which is God's hall of faith. Now, those mentioned here are not ones that we would have listed, but they're ones that God listed. Look what it says in chapter 11, verse 32. What shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon... And of who? So who is mentioned here in God's hall of faith? Barak. So if we think this was a man that was weak in faith, a sissy, a coward, we've read this wrong because God says, I'm highlighting men of great faith. So let me ask you this. Why would Barak's name be in Hebrews chapter 11 if you read that Deborah has to approach Barak and Barak says, I'll go, but only if you go with me and you've convinced yourself what a weak and cowardly 
thing to do and to say. Maybe you misread the context. Let me ask you something. Who was God speaking directly to? Deborah. Who received a direct word from God? Deborah. Who had yet to receive a direct word from God? Barak. Who had the heavenly vision? Deborah. Who had a calling? Deborah. Do you know when you got a direct word from God, which we do, your faith has a foundation. So we have no excuse. We have the 66 books of the Bible. Now let me just tell you something here. Barak had not received a direct word from the Lord. And back in that day and age, there were only a handful of books of the Bible that even existed. Job, which I doubt he had in his possession, and the books of the law, which I doubt he had in his possession. He couldn't run down here to a Christian bookstore and pick up a copy of the Bible in his language and seek guidance, divine guidance. It was coming from the mouth of Deborah. Now, what in the world was he saying when he made this comment? I'm only going if you go with me. This was not fear, but faith. This was not cowardice, but courage. This was not silliness, but extreme intelligence and wisdom. He said, if that woman has a direct word from God, I'm not going into battle unless I am going with a direct word from God. He didn't put her in the front of the battle. Now listen, hold on for a second. I want you to think about the circumstance for a minute because the circumstance will blow your mind. We don't put ourselves into the situation or think about what's taking place. This man, Cicero, he was a general of the enemy army for 20 years, had 900 chariots of iron Israel and their men were unarmed. So Deborah comes and says, Barak, yes, I've got a word from God. Now remember this, it's easy for you to step forward when you've got a direct word from God or if you have a calling or if you have a vision, but how many of you have responded because of the vision or the calling of someone else? So Barak has to have enough faith to respond to someone else that's receiving the direct word while he is not. Now, why was this such great faith? Think of his circumstance. So she says, God will deliver them into your hands. You gather 10,000 men. With what? Cattle prods? Do you remember what it says? Go to chapter 5, verse 8. Speaking of the poor decisions of the Israelites to continually abandon God and seek new gods. Once he had died, what's it say? They chose new gods. Then was war in the gates. Now look at their condition. Was there a shield or a spear seen among 40,000 in Israel? She said that Israelites had no weapons of war. So when Deborah comes to Barak and says, God's going to deliver them into our hands. Up, let's fight. And he said, absolutely. That was a step of faith, an extreme step of faith because he knew he had no soldiers, he had no weapons. All he had was the word of God coming through the mouth of a woman. Yes, sir. That's faith. This is not fear. This is not cowardice. This is not a weak man. And let me just say this. God always uses weakness because he wants the credit. So Barak says, 
okay. Now, hold on for a second. Here's the battle plan. You're going to go up to the top of this mountain. And then, let me ask you something. Verse 14, Barak goes to Mount Tabor, but what's the battle plan? Here's these men in the valley. When are chariots useful? In the plain. Are chariots of any use in the mountain? So if you had a battle plan and you were going to fight an enemy with 900 chariots of iron, where do you think the odds are in your favor if you're going to fight? Stay on the mountain. But here's what Deborah says. You take the 10,000 men without any weapons of war and you rush them in the plain. When I say charge. Now let me ask you, does this sound like a man of fear and cowardice? with no spine, no backbone. It's going to take 10,000 untrained men with no weapons of war and leave the stronghold to fight in a valley where those men have been positioned in fighting, a position they've held for 20 years, and he did not drag her down to the valley. She stayed, said charge. It was Barak, the man with 10,000 grunts that ran down that mountain into the valley, faced a well-trained army with 900 chariots of iron. Now, hold on for a second. I want to give you a second chance here. Is that the act of a coward? It takes a lot of faith to do something like that takes a lot of faith to say, I don't have a direct word from God, but here's a woman with a direct word from God. She has told me to leave the fortress of the mountain. She has told me to gather 10,000 men, untrained men. She has told me to go down into the valley and fight. It's faith. Now, Christian, let me, let me ask you something. Much of what God's word says sounds exactly like this. You know in your Christian life, the Holy Spirit, God Almighty, has told you, I want you to leave the mountaintop, go down to the valley, and face those chariots of iron. Now let's see what happens. Verse 14. Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? Now, this is easy for her to say. Hold on for a second. We always looked at her as the great commander in Barak as the coward, but she is on top of the mountain in a safe place saying, Charge! And it is Barak that is heading down off the safe place into a dangerous place with these men. And she says, This day the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand. So Barak went down from the mountain. Now, this isn't a good military move. This was not in any military handbook. This is to the contrary. Bad move, guaranteed defeat. But verse 15, what's it say? The Lord, now here's how easy a situation like this, an impossible situation, is for God. So the Lord discomfited now that doesn't sound like much of a word to us discomfited you know what that makes it makes it sound like there's a fly buzzing around the pie on the dinner table 
Either that fly is discomforting you or you're discomforting the fly, right? And this is the way that God looked at this army and these chariots. Now, what did he do? There's an almighty God in heaven that's not concerned about the odds. Verse chapter 5, verse 20, what's he do? They fought from heaven. The stars in their courses fought against Sisera. The river of Kishon swept them away, that ancient river, the river Kishon. Oh, my soul, thou hast trodden down strength. God sent down rain from heaven. It was so heavy, the Bible says, now they were in chariots, and what were they trusting in? Chariots. Can you ride a chariot in muck, in marsh, and mud? It creates a disadvantage for the home team. And they went to flee, they went to ride, and God sunk those wheels so deep, the horses couldn't pull them. They were beaten, so here's what happens. The Lord, verse 15, chapter 4, 15, the Lord discomfited Sisera and all his chariots and all his hosts with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Sisera lighted down off his chariot. Now, what was he trusting in? His iron chariot. And God said, some trust in horses and some in chariots, but it's God, almighty God, that determines the outcome of the battle. God said, let it rain. And those chariots of iron sunk deep. And the enemy was beaten. And here's what God said. Now let me show you something else about his faith. From the very beginning, this man had extreme faith. And when she said, God's going to give us the victory, you come down off your uh, safe haven, you go down and fight those chariots in the valley. And then just by bringing her along, think about this for a minute. He said, I'm going to bring you because you have the word from God, and I don't want to go into battle without a word from God. But he said, you can stay up there in the mountain. I'll take the men down. I'll charge. I'll put my life in danger. But I want you to know, when I take you up there, and she repeated this, he knew there was no honor, there was no glory in it for him because if the woman's in charge, not only do you not get the credit, you hear the laughter. Now, let me ask you this. 10,000 men up there. Who has to explain the battle plan to these 10,000? Okay, man, here's the plan. We're going to come down off the mountain. We're going to do what? Yeah, we're going to run down into the valley where the chariots are. With what? Sticks. You ready? No? Deborah, is this what God told us to do? Yes. Thank you very much. This is not my plan. I didn't come with this battle plan. This is God's battle plan. And it's going to work because if it's God's plan, God's plan always works. Are you ready, man? At the count of three. One, two, three. Team, go! Come on, troops. He's got to rally the troops. With what? Do you understand why he brought Deborah? He had to explain a plan that in man's eyes was impossible to rally the troops and get them to run down off the mountain and down into the valley. But remember this. He had no problem with Deborah yell, Charge! How many of you men want to do that? You're going to gather the troops. You're going to tell them the crazy plan. You're going to go into the valley. You're going to risk your life. And you're going to let her yell, charge. How many men would like to do that? Do you see what kind of man this was? 
said, this isn't about me. This isn't about my honor. This isn't about my glory. I understand that God's going to deliver this battle and this enemy into the hand of a woman. And some say, well, Deborah was prophesying that God was going to deliver the enemy into her hand. No, to the contrary, he didn't even get to capture the general. He didn't even get to kill him or slay him because he jumps out of the chariot, the very thing that he was trusting in. He lights off, takes off to flee, verse 16, but bear pursuit after the chariots, after the host. They fell upon the edge of the sword. There was not a man left. How bait, verse 17, so Sarah fled away on his feet to the tent of jail, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Now, Heber had made an alliance with Sisera, and so he's thinking, this is a place where I can find refuge and peace. There was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber, verse 18. Jail the wife went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to me, fear not. When he had turned in unto her, into the tent, she covered him with a mantle. She said, he said to her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. She opened a bottle of milk and gave him to drink and covered him. Again, he said to her, Stand in the door of the tent, it shall be when any man doth come and inquire thee, and say, Is there any man here that thou shalt say no? Then Jael, Heber's wife, took an ell of the tent, took an hammer in her hand, went softly unto him, smote the nail into his temples, and fastened it into the ground, for she was, he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come and I will show thee the man whom thou seekest. When he came in under her in the tent, behold, Sisera lay dead, and the nail was in his temples. Now read the next two words. So God, you know what faith is about? Understanding it's all God. Why was Barak such a man of faith mentioned in Hebrews 11? He understood this is all God. I need Deborah because she has a direct word from God. I'll run down this mountain into a valley, into the face of danger because this is all God. I'll let her yell charge because this is about God anyways and not me. And God says, I want you to know that this is all about me. I'll send rain, trap the enemy, give you the victory. But when the general flees, I don't even want you to be able to kill the general. I'll use another woman. She's down there and she sees the general coming up. She knows right away this man is not uh, running, proclaiming the victory with his soldiers behind him. He is fleeing, full of mud, terror on his face, weary and worn out from the battle. He says, I just need a drink. She said, I got you some milk. When he laid down, collapsed on the tent floor, she went and pulled a tent stake. Put it right above his temple. This was a man doomed. Fought the wrong battle against the wrong God. Condemned himself. And he woke up with the temple stake through his temple. So God brought great victory. Now go with me to 1 Corinthians for just a minute. I want you to see two verses and we'll be finished. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
1 Corinthians 1, 26. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world that confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. The base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught, things that are, look at verse 29, why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Could it be any more clear? Do you see what God's talking about? You know why Barak's faith was so great? He had nothing to offer God. He had no plan. He had no army. He had no talent. He had no ability. He had no military experience. He had nothing to trust in. Matter of fact, every inch of his body, every ounce of his logic screamed, don't do that. That is absolutely crazy. You're not only a fool, the world will know you're a fool. Don't run off that mountain. Don't listen to that woman. Don't fight that army. You're a nut. God said, I got a plan. Now, what makes all this so difficult? He was weak. He had nothing to offer. He didn't even get a direct word from God. But more than anything, this wasn't even his vision. I said, Pastor, why did you preach all of this? We're walking into our missions conference. Doesn't reaching the world seem like an impossible task? Just as impossible as 10,000 men with no military experience and no weapons of war running off of a mountain into a valley to fight trained warriors with 900 chariots of iron. You tell me reaching 7 billion people with the gospel seems logical, feasible, or possible? You say, what's the plan? we got to go with God's plan. Now, here's where it may take faith on your part in seven or eight days because some of you don't even understand missions and it's not even your vision. Oh, your pastor's been on the mission field for 15 years and he's planted churches and seen buildings go up and souls get saved and nationals trained and pastors in the ministry, but you haven't seen that. So for you, it takes more faith than it takes for me because you say, Pastor, I wish I had that direct word. I wish I had your vision. Maybe you're going to have to do what Barak did. Just say, I'm going to go with Deborah. I don't get any honor for this. I'm not going to get any glory for this. It all sounds crazy to me. But if it's God's plan, it's a workable plan. And let me tell you something about missions. It is working all around the world. Now, it won't even take that much faith. If you'd invest about $1,000 and travel to a mission field, you could see firsthand what God is doing around the world and the souls that are being saved and the churches that are being planted, the buildings that are being built. But if you don't go, you see a slide. But it's like the rest of TV. It's surreal. You've never been there. You've never met that person. It doesn't mean much to you. So this week, we're going to stand up like Deborah and yell, charge. And we need 10,000 men without much in their hand to say, we're going to leave 
this place of comfort and run down to a valley to face the enemy? Yeah. Pastor, do you understand the economy? Do you understand what's happening? Do you understand the bomb of care? Have you even tried to register yet? Do you even know what's going on? I understand our God is much bigger than all of that. And I do understand God's plan works. And here's what I love about faith. God always responds to faith. Listen, I'm telling you what, if you have some messed up concept of Barak that he was this weak, need, spineless man sitting there shaking underneath the tree saying, if you don't go with me, I'm not going to go. You've never read this scripture. This is a man with no direct vision, with no direct word. They had a woman come to him and say, this is from God, let's make it happen. And he said, he went and gathered the 10,000 men, went up to the mountain, looked down at that army and said, you yell charge and stay put. Don't leave here. Don't run. Don't put yourself in danger. Let's go. God's going to give us a victory. That's not the same man so criticized by independent Baptists that never even read the story or given it more than a single glance because Barak stepped up to the challenge, took another person's vision, said that's God's plan and if it's God's plan, no matter how crazy or illogical it sounds, it's a workable plan. 